So let's just share, you know, it's, life's always kind of unique. I, the last eight or nine days, 10 days, you know, I've had different people that I've somehow connected with, and there's been a variety of people passing away. A uh, longtime friend of mine from back in school, Debbie and my friend, um, whose husband passed away, uh, RA. She's actually been married a year longer than Debbie and I. Uh, another good friend they're very close to, and, and uh, tragedy where her cousin's child in a wreck, and the child passed, and <clears throat> just dealt with several, interacted with several people who've lost loved ones, and, and of all ages, young and old, and it's just a reminder, I think, that life is fragile, and regardless how old you are from the standpoint, just of human history, but even beyond that, eternity, life is so very short. And our task so much is to find ways to help people find Jesus. It really, it, it, you know, it's just, it, it's, sometimes it's just, you know, I know this all the time as a pastor, I always know this, but sometimes you just get reminded of this. And I was really reminded of it this week when um, news of my, of my good friend's husband passed. And just reminding just how, how short life is. And, and the responsibility we have <clears throat> so often, and we're going to see this in, in, the, in Corinthians today. So often, and, and I understand this, but we get caught up in what we want. We, we, we tend to make Christianity in church about us. And, and we have needs that have to be met, and I get that. And sometimes you need to be ministered to, and I understand that, and I want to help you with that. But as a follower of Jesus, I say this sometimes, but we've got to remember, I'm good to go. I'm all right. I'm going to be with Jesus. There are a lot of people who aren't good to go. And if I make the Christian experience about me, if I make church about me, then I have forgotten why I'm here. Because I'm not here for me. When Christ came, he said, I did not come so that you would serve me. I came to serve you, to give my life for a ransom. And sometimes we just, we have to take that step back. Because I get it. You know, all this building stuff we're doing, and, and, and I get a lot of good questions, and I understand. You know, and I get a lot of questions that end up being basically I'm being a little blunt, but basically what's in it for me <laughs> kind of questions. You know, and I understand, and, and I get it. And we all want, you know, I, listen, I, I'd love a four-room office suite. I really would. It's about 2,000 square feet. I think at 60 years of age, and yesterday I celebrated my, celebrated my 41st year in ministry. I think I've earned that, but I'm not going to have it. I'm not. I would love I would really, really love if I could just go out and get me a really nice fancy sports car and just waste, waste a lot of money on that. I eh, probably can't do that seeing how we're trying to build a building. Sometimes I just have to remind, and it's okay to have those. I don't care. Some of you have them. I'm not talking. It's okay to have them. But when you're the pastor, it's not. <laughs> it's just different. I have to play by a different set of rules. Sometimes we just have to get back and remember, okay, 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 okay. It's about someone who doesn't know Jesus, and i got to think about them. And which brings us really to the church at Corinth, because that's right where they were. As I shared last week, Paul's at Ephesus. It's the mid-50s. Corinth, the church, has been around a couple of years, 
and, and, and all of a sudden they're in total chaos, total chaos. And so Paul's dealing with them, and they had all these divisions. So after a really decent greeting, here's what he says in verse 10 in chapter 1. Now I exhort you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. By the way, those of you here last week, and I used my iPad, I went back to my paperback Bible. Why write? I hated that thing. It didn't work well. I didn't feel like I taught very good. And now I feel like I'm just, you know, probably not teaching any good either, but it's okay. He says, I exhort you. The word to exhort is to call. It's, it's a word of encouragement. It, it's, it's a word of encouragement with expectations. I encourage you, but I do so with certain expectations on brethren. You're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I know in today's age, using the term brothers, you know, it's not proper, uh, but Paul probably didn't care. And he says, in the name or by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever Paul uses the full title, the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole thing, it's, it's, it means he's emphatic. He says, in that name, in that power, in, 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 you know, there just can't be any divisions. The word for divisions is the word that we get our term schism from. It's a, it speaks of a breaking, of a shattering. What he's saying is, in the church, and this is the fundamental problem, when people, you know, people, you know, a lot of commentators and pastors and authors try to find out what the problem is. And sometimes it's just so clear that you miss it. <laughs> and they overlook the obvious. And I don't know why. Their problem is the church is fractured. It's going in different directions. It's got schisms and breaks in it. People looking out for different things and what they want. He said, you got to cut that out. You got to be able to agree. And that you can be complete or whole. He says, you need to be of the same mind. You need to be of the same judgments or discernment. He said, one, remember last uh, uh, Sunday when I preached uh, about being of one mind? Same, same concept. You, you have to be of the same mind and judgments or dispositions. It doesn't mean that you always, this mic, I'm sorry, drive me in. I'm going to break into the microphone here in a minute. Just to let y'all know. James, probably I might break this mic when it keeps bugging me. It's not the idea that you don't have some differences. That's okay. It's not the idea that you don't, you, don't, you don't have to see eye to eye on everything. It's like the first girl I dated was cross-eyed. We, we hardly ever saw eye to eye. <laughs> we broke up because she was seeing someone else on the side. I really didn't. <laughs> so I stole that. I stole that line from a movie. I'm going to be honest. I stole that from the Jungle Cruise. I had to... If, if it wasn't a popular movie where y'all could go see it right now and you would know I stole it, so I didn't say I stole it. So it's okay that we're a little cross-eyed once in a while, but we need, basically we need to be in agreement. And I kind of feel like we are. There's always some minor, minor things go on. But he says, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Say, Chloe, we, no one knows for sure Chloe is. They, the best idea is she's probably a fairly wealthy businesswoman, probably a Christian, maybe from Corinth, maybe from Ephesus, but connected with both. And uh, her people, she had people. I never had people. I wish I had people. If you had people, you, that, boy, I don't have people. I got Josh back there, but that doesn't count. He said, you got quarrels, and this first quarrel says, and this is what I mean. Some of you are saying, I'm a Paul, I'm an Apollos, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Christ. Now, what, we don't know the details. There's all sorts of speculations. You can't be too speculative, but, 
basically it's something like this. Some people were saying, you know, well, well Paul, he founded us. We all do what he says. Some were saying, no, 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 no. Paul's not even, Paul's not hardly an apostle. He shouldn't be considered an apostle. I mean, Apollos comes. He is so eloquent. He is such a good speaker. He's mesmerizing. He's a good speaker. He's got nice hair. He's got good teeth, you know. He's a good speaker. Some say, no, I'll tell you what, man. I'm going to go back to one of the original guys, Peter, Cephas. Cephas hadn't even probably been to Corinth. That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know somebody knows him. Well, let's do what him says. And some people, these were, these were, the, these were like, well, I just follow Jesus. It's okay. My wife tells me that about me all the time. It's okay. Josh is back there to help. Josh, Josh, is, oh, Josh is taking it from her. Okay. So. Let me help you with this. So. Oh, this didn't happen 40 years ago. This my first church that I was a part of. We had this little short, four foot eleven guy. He was a deacon. And I was just a youth minister. I didn't have to deal with it. But he'd fall asleep every service. And his height was such that when he'd fall asleep, his head would hit the back of the pew and it'd go thump. And everybody could hear his head hit. So some just said, you know, we're of Jesus, you know, the super spiritual. We don't. And so it's just, it doesn't matter what they thought or taught. That's not the important thing. The important thing is they were just all divided. This is a mess. Paul says, has Christ been divided? He's crucified, but not divided. Paul's not crucified, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He doesn't use the Paul of Peter, but him and Christ. He says, why are you doing this? Christ wasn't divided. Christ, Christ was just one. Think about Jesus, God in the flesh, just one, one God. But he wasn't divided. I wasn't crucified. He didn't baptize. And then Paul kind of goes off on a little bit of a tangent, which is good because sometimes the going off on the tangent lends the air of authenticity. You can see Paul, he's, he's dictating this, probably to Sosthenes, I think, and telling him what to say. He says, I didn't baptize any of you. Well, I thank God in verse 14 that I baptized none of you. Well, except Crispus and Gaius. Okay, I baptized two of you. So no one would say you were baptized in my name, so claiming I'm part of Paul's group because I was baptized. Then he says, now I did baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. I don't remember, but, but the important thing, because I can just see him saying, I didn't baptize anybody. Well, yeah, I did. I baptized two. Well, then there was that other family. I don't think there was anybody else. So we're good. So the point of all that is that, is that he chased a little rabbit, which kind of makes it authentic, because Paul is saying, why would anybody have claims to me? I didn't baptize. I mean, I'm, I'm not there finding it. I didn't found the church in my name. I'm not baptizing you in my name. And then, you know, now later on, he's going to lay out his apostolic credentials. It doesn't mean he's not an apostle. It just means that I, I'm not the one who did all that. So verse 17 says this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Just a minute, I'm going to get to verse 18, which in many ways is the heart of this whole book, but verse 17 sets it up. Paul says, I wasn't sent to do that stuff. I had a very clear purpose in coming. And the word preached the gospel is to evangelize. It's uangelizamai. I came to evangelize. Now, 
Yeah, that's a great word. We don't use it much anymore. There are a lot of, and, and, I, and I do this a lot intentionally. There's a lot of good churchy terms I don't use anymore because in our culture because they have come to take on words that are misused. And evangelism is kind of one of them because we have all, you know, there's all sorts of, the word gospel, the word evangelize has been co-opted by the culture, co-opted by the culture and used in all sorts of incorrect ways. But it is, it is a beautiful word that means to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've came to share good news. And we really, we really ought to call it that more often, especially in a world that is hurting so much and lost. We need to remind the world that what we have is good news, news that changes lives. He said, I did this, not in cleverness of speech. Now, the word cleverness is important because it's a, a variant of the word for, for wisdom of, of, of sophia, uh, sophistry. And he's going to use that word several times. He said, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He said, I didn't come to preach the gospel. I came to preach the gospel, but not with cleverness. One, I think you, we see this a lot. I, I think there's a lot of guys, gals, I guess, who I would say, preach, preach with cleverness or wittiness. Or, or I might use, put it this way. They try to be sophisticated in their preaching in order that somehow they may connect with the culture in a sophisticated way. And, and I see them on TV sometimes. I'll see guys write these books. I'll see people uh, interviewed that come from supposedly the realm of Christianity and trying to explain things and explain away fundamental truths. The gospel was written, the, the, the New Testament was written at a level where the average, common, uneducated person could understand it. And sometimes we just need to realize we need to keep things simple. I, I, I try to keep it simple as much as I can. Uh, depends on who I'm preaching to. Sometimes I keep it simpler than others. But, you know, the, the beauty of the gospel is it's not complicated. It's not clever. It's, in some ways, the gospel is brutally blunt and honest. I mean, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You're a rebel against God. God in the flesh came. He died for you and rose again. If you don't trust him, you're spending eternity in hell. So what are you going to do? I mean, there, there, there is that sense of just bluntness about it. And so we, we need to have that sense of simplicity, not in cleverness, not in, as we're fixing to see wisdom. It's interesting that the word sophomore comes from two Greek words. Sophia, wisdom, and moriah, moron. A sophomore is a wise moron. <laughs> so the word sophomoric means someone who thinks they're being clever, but is a fool. I so love the fact that the word idiotes and moriah, moron and idiot, are in the New Testament because I feel it gives me the freedom to use those words a great. <laughs> Verse 18 says this, for the logos, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. It's just, I preached on this not too long ago, I think. It's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful verse. The word, the message, the logos, John uses the term logos of Jesus. 
the concept of word is the fullness of God's revelation. Whatever God's revelation is, it's logos. He says that logos, that message of the cross, and, and, and oftentimes you'll hear me speak of the cross event, the death, burial, resurrection. So to speak of the cross in the most general terms or the message of the cross is to include the resurrection. He said it is foolishness to those who are in the process of perishing. But to those who are in, of us, in the process of being saved, it's the power of God. So he doesn't say the wisdom of God, but the power of God. So notice this. Perishing and saving. He's talking to people who are alive. He says, you're in the road. You're in the process. The idea is you're taking a journey right now. It's not that you have been lost and you're doomed, or you have already been saved and nothing else is a part of it. Now, we're not talking about salvation in the standpoint of I was lost, I crossed the line, and now I'm saved. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the whole concept of salvation as an ongoing process in your life, sanctification, growing, maturing. He says, those people who are in the very process of perishing, the word perish means to be utterly destroyed. So Jesus, in uh, John writes in Jesus 10, uh, John 10, he says, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give to them eternal life, and they shall by no means perish or be destroyed. When people think that you can lose your salvation, they're basically arguing against Jesus who says, you cannot perish when I hold you in my hand. It's a double and negative emphatic. There is no possible way when you're my sheep that you can by any means be destroyed for all eternity. By the way, the whole term eternal life, by its very definition, argues against you losing your salvation. If you have life eternal, by definition, eternal means forever. It's not something you can then lose. You have it. It's eternal. Christ gave it to you. How are you going to lose it? Now, some people, looks like they renounce Jesus after they've been saved. I've been asked before about what people who reject Christ, who've been a Christian. I said, well, you can't lose what you don't have. You understand that everybody, Jesus said, who calls on me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom. Not everyone who claims Christianity is truly a Christian. He says, those who are in the process of perishing, surely the cross seems like foolish. But if you're being saved, it's not wisdom, it's power. The word dunamis means raw ability. It's just the power of God to save you, the power of God to work in your life. And then he quotes Isaiah 29, 14. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Quoting Isaiah, and it has to do with Judah, uh, looking to the Egyptians, blah, 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 for some stuff. It really doesn't matter. Um, there's numerous times, you know, the biblical writers like to refer back to the Old Testament. They like to rely on Scripture. It's always a good thing to rely on Scripture to get your understanding. Here, now, they didn't have the New Testament. Paul's writing the New Testament right now. He didn't know it, but he's what he's doing. He said, God from the beginning said, I'm going to destroy wisdom, set aside their cleverness, their sophistry. So verse 20 says, where's the man who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater or the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Think about it. Some think the word wise man is uh, speaking of the Gentiles and the word scribes, thinking of the Jewish scholars. And the debater is kind of all the philosopher. Probably that's too, too much splitting. I think I say this all the time. I really do. When you see lists or things like this, the purpose of it is to be cumulative. It's not exhaustive. It's comprehensive. 
but not exhaustive. It's, it's a cumulative effect. Where's the one who thinks they're wise? Where's the one who thinks they're a brilliant scholar? Where is the great orator and philosopher? Where are these people? They matter their background. <laughs> he says, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. Our culture, who is rebelling against God, or sometimes our culture in opposition to the Lord, thinks it's so wise and it's foolish. So why do churches try to take the foolish wisdom of the world that God rejects and bring it into the church? Why? Would you do that? When someone says, oh, well, I was written in the Old Testament, that's 2,000 years ago, we, we need something new. Well, God's revelation is always new. It's timeless. When <laughs> you see churches changing the understanding of salvation, well, now, you know, we, now that America has we've seen more religious diversity and more people, there's got to be other ways to God. So why don't we just be more inclusive and recognize there's other ways to God? That sounds wise. That sounds smart. It doesn't really. But, but God rejects all of that. Why would the church look to the culture for guidance instead of to the Holy Spirit instead of to Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture. It's foolish in your life. Now, granted, you know, somebody gave you a hundred bucks, you want to go invest it. Yeah, I, I got you. Do that. You know, if you, you, there's some problems you want to resolve, you know, some things, I got you. You know, if your fantasy football team is struggling, there's no place in Scripture to help you resolve that issue. You shouldn't have drafted anybody from the Raiders. That was your problem. But things of ethics, morality, of spirituality, everything we need has been revealed to us in the New Testament. And Paul is in the process of doing that for the church at Corinth with all their problems. Verse 21 says, for since in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God now, so he's taking their term, he's taking their term wisdom. The world through its wisdom does not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, some believe that Paul may be referring to the fact that some think that Paul, I, mean, I told you this last week, Paul kind of looked strange. He probably wasn't a great speaker. So Paul is saying this, God, got this tables. I need a new table, Troy. I read the Bible. This one's wobbling. So when I do it, everything's wobbling. I'm like that cross-eyed girl I talked about a while ago. Anyways, there really wasn't a cross-eyed girl. I'm telling you, there hasn't been ever anybody but Debbie. And she sees everything, no matter what I do. Just like my mama. For in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So God in his wisdom dictated that the world in his wisdom would not come to know God. And remember, Paul's writing to Greeks and, and Romans and, and Jews and all of that. You know, there were so many religions. Before Paul went to Corinth in Acts 17, he was at Athens, the heart of philosophy and religion. They all thought they were wise. God was well pleased, though, he says, notice this, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of the message. The, the, 
no matter how foolish, moronic you think the message was, that's how people are saved. That's how people come to believe. The word preach is not the same word as to preach the gospel. This is the word, which is the technical word for preaching. It's the word for believing. It's what I do Sundays. Basically, I deliver a technical message. You say God thought that foolishness was okay. We should too, shouldn't we? So, I'm not saying this because I'm the preacher. Okay. I'm not saying it because of that. But preaching, teaching, whatever you want to categorize, whatever you do. Stupid. <laughs> Buy me a new table. Isn't giving up, Troy? Can I get a table? A new table. Okay, buy some screws. <laughs> Bob said he'll give an extra hundred this week. <laughs> he said it's through that, which may seem foolish, people's lives are changed. So why wouldn't the preaching and teaching and the singing, I get that, and, and working in a one, I, I get all that. Why wouldn't that be what is priority to us? The most, so, I, I, so you understand about our church. The single most important thing we do from the church perspective, from the pastor's perspective, is Sunday morning when we have four worship services. The music, the preaching, all of it is important. Everything else we do takes second place. That means everything we do in preparing for that is a priority. So when Brian, Brian has practice on whatever day he has practice, Thursday or Wednesdays, whenever it is, with one drummer and they're going through it, nothing interferes with that. Nothing bumps him out. Once in a while, if you know, but that's different. But when Mike is, now Mike's going to rehearse, rehearsing choirs soon. I think it starts this week. You're invited to, to choir. Some of you aren't, Doug, you're not, you're not nobody, nobody on that row is invited to choir. That becomes a priority for us. The youth on Sunday nights is a priority for us. Anytime, but the, when we proclaim the word of God, that becomes the priority. Why? Because, the, you know, <clears throat> you know it, the one event where we'll touch the most lives at one time is Sunday morning worship. So that's the priority. And I, I tend to preach from Scripture. And whoever is taking my place when I'm not here, which someone told me in one of the uh, things the other night, the desserts, they really love it when Joe preaches. I said, well, that's fine. You know, Joe's preaching in November. I lost a lot of confidence in that guy's judgment. He's no longer going to serve anywhere that requires <laughs> critical thinking. Because we all preach the word of God. What may seem like foolishness to the world it's how people come to faith. For indeed, Jews ask for signs in Greek search for wisdom. Jews like, Jews, the Jews and their faith were, were not emotional. They wanted facts. They wanted, you know, they wanted signs, miracles. Everything, everything was very technical. The, the Greeks, they liked philosophy. They could go all over the place, whatever. He says, but we, and this is so beautiful in verse 23. It's one of my favorite verses. We preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. The Gentiles' foolishness. Those of you Jews who come from a background, Jewish background, he said, the, the cross 
is a scandal. It is foolishness. It's, scan- it is, it's just that way. It's a stumbling block. It's a scandal. It's a word of scandal. It's a scandal. How could, this, how could God die on the cross? To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Remember this. For us, the cross is the symbol of our faith. It's sacred almost. Now, some people, will, well, some really face, they kiss the cross, you know. Obviously not Baptists, because uh, we don't kiss anything. But uh, it was a sign of death. It was a sign of slaughter. It was that our, in the first century that our Savior died on a cross, was ridiculed and mocked by the Gentiles. Jesus says. I mean, Paul says to the Jews, it caused them to stumble because the Savior, the Messiah, couldn't die in a cursed tree. And the Gentiles said, that's, that's just foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The word called is the word kaleo, to call out. It's the root of the word church, ecclesia. Ecclesia is to call out ones. Kaleo, ek kaleo, called out ones. He said, that's where power of God is right there in the cross. We've seen this old hymn, there's power in the blood, there's power in the cross. We don't sing that in a contemporary service. We have other fancier ways of singing it. I don't know what it is because I never pay attention, but it sounds good. I can't understand most of what they say. I just like it. Because verse 25 says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's an amazing verse. We need that in our churches more. We need to know God's wisdom, God's strength, or his power is greater than anything the world has to offer. It's greater than anything the world offers. So, Remember back when we had a pandemic last year? I think it's all behind us. <laughs> that was a verse that I looked to to make decisions. The concept for that verse. When I had to make a decision sometimes. Do I want to go with God? Or do I want to do what the culture's telling me? And I went with God. Because Jesus says, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you give to God what is God. In worship, always belongs to God. So in his wisdom and his power, he's better than anything the culture had to offer. Verse 26 says this, for consider your calling, same word kaleo, brethren, there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. He's kind of, he's, there's not, you know, when we called you, he's saying, he's talking to them. And some believe this indicates that the church was mostly of lower class people. That's not really probably what it means. He's just saying, when you were called and saved, when you were saved, y'all weren't, I weren't really the, the wisest people. You weren't the strongest. You weren't, from, you weren't from nobility. In other words, y'all weren't much. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The word chosen is the word elect. 
It's the word we think of when God talks about salvation. We are the elect. We are the chosen of God. I know people struggle with that. For life, I don't know why. One of the things I know about my salvation is that if it was up to me, I would have never chosen God. Because I was dead on my trespasses and sin. I was nine, but I was on that road. And, and I know my nature. I know how I am. Even when I have Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, I know how I am. You know how you are. You didn't choose God. God chose you. He said, here's faith. Trust me. And you said, okay. Some people say no. I get that. Some people reject it. But you didn't just one day out of the blue act like you went over to the Golden Corral and get the buffet, which my wife hates it when I say it like that, which is why I do it. I go over there, I pick and choose what I want. No, I didn't do that with God. He called me, gave me faith, and I responded to that faith and took it and believed. Now, this, this is so beautiful. That, that election... That election shames the wisdom of the world. And it puts the strength of the world to shame as well. He chose weak. Here's the thing. All people are weak and powerless to sin. Don't you understand that? When it comes to sin, we're all weak. People who reject Jesus, no matter how powerful they may seem to the rest of the world, they're slaves to sin. The most, who's the most powerful people in the country? Who, who are the wealthiest? They're all slaves to sin. All those wealthy people, they're slaves to their money. Unless they're a follower of Jesus. Their money owns them. They can't get enough. They're addicted to it. They're slaves. But the power is God. The base, verse 20, the base things of the world and the despise God has chosen. That's us. The things that are not, so that they may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Think about that. All these people are saying, I'm a Paul, and I'm a Peter, and I'm a Jesus, and they're all broken apart, and they're schismatic, and they all think they know best, and they all think they have knowledge. <laughs> Paul says, y'all all came from nothing. And God saved you. It's not that they weren't important. They were important. It's not that they don't have value. Of course they had value. But why are you boasting about who you belong to when you can't even save yourself? Verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. The word in is actually the preposition ice, which means into. It speaks of movement. You have come into Christ. You belong to him. He holds you who became to us wisdom from God, and not only wisdom, notice what Christ became. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, all those saving words. Righteousness to set you right before God. Sanctification to make you holy, to cleanse you. Redemption to pay for you. Jesus in the wisdom of God did all of that. What human wisdom is there that can justify you, sanctify you, Redeem you. What wisdom is there that can make you right before God? None. Make you holy before God? None. Can buy you back to God? There is none. So, 
Paul says in verse 31. As it is written in Jeremiah 9, let him who boasts in, boast in the Lord. In other words, you need to be giving God glory. Here's the thing, when churches, I have, I've said many times that I went to Laredo after they had split and in Bridgeport after they had split. Laredo wasn't as bad. Laredo bounced back pretty quick. They, it was, it was, they, knew what, they knew what had happened when all they wanted to correct that. Bridgeport was an unbelievable mess. <laughs> One of the fundamental problems where they were, they were split, they were schismatic, they were splitting. And everybody thought they knew best. And everybody thought they were seeking what God wanted. But the problem was they were never willing to admit that maybe, just maybe, they were wrong. At the heart of both of those splits was the desire of a group of people to reach more people. In one group, didn't want to do what it took to reach those people. And I kept getting stuck with that group. I'm like, God, why can't I go to the group that wanted to reach more people? They're more fun. That's especially true in Bridgeport. Not so much in Laredo. We spend too much time thinking about what we want instead of coming to the agreement that the most important thing for us to do is we better honor God and we better help reach people. I think our church is in that good place right now. That means we don't have problems. We have problems. I mean, some of you aren't cranky. and That doesn't mean I wish there were a few people that would leave. There aren't many, but there are one or two. None are here today. But for the most part, we understand what we're called to do. That's what we have to do. That's what Paul's talking about. We've got to preach the gospel. And when you stop preaching the gospel, and you start trying to figure out what everybody wants, that's where the split comes. Because this section wants one thing, and this section another, and this section another, that section number. So who am I going to give what they want? Am I going to give these guys what they want? And these guys give more money. Maybe I ought to give them what they want. These guys, are, you know, you're not younger. These guys are younger. Maybe I'll give them what they want. And that's what happens. And that's what they were experiencing. And that's what we can never experience. So, boy, I got to go a long time today without the singing. I kind of like that. Cut that singing. I don't need those guys. Get rid of them. Uh, any questions? Okay. I like it when y'all don't ask questions. Then you wait till we leave and you say, Pastor, I actually wanted to ask you one. So that's good too. We'll see y'all probably on Sunday. I'll be here. <laughs>